I'm James Brierton. An all-new edition of the Carolina Weather Group starts right now. It is Wednesday, March 16th, 2022. I'm James Brierton in Charlotte, North Carolina, and welcome to a live edition of the Carolina Weather Group. We are going to be yet again talking about more ways that you at home can get involved in our broader weather community. Our guest this week is the assistant state climatologist for South Carolina, Melissa Griffin, and our own Frank Strait, who is going to be wearing two hats. He's the podcasting Frank, and he's also the day job severe weather liaison for the state climate office, Frank. And joining me on our Carolina Weather Group panelist is Jared Smith from Charleston, South Carolina. We'll get to them in just a moment. A reminder that this week's episode is brought to you by, and there's a theme here, a chance for you to expand your weather horizon. Join us and the National Weather Service at Columbia, South Carolina for the Advanced Storm Spotter class. That one is Tuesday, March 29th at 7 p.m. We had a very successful class with so many of you just last week with Chris Landolfi, a meteorologist at the National Weather Service. That was our basic class, and we hope that you will join us for that advanced class coming up on Tuesday, March 29th, 7 p.m. It's free. It's virtual. There's a link to sign up in the description of the show, wherever it is that you are watching or listening to this show right now. And if you are joining us live right now, then you know that parts of the Carolinas are seeing thunderstorms and some severe weather across the broader area today. Here is a photo from Tim Pounds in the Augusta area showing us dime-sized hail about 7.15, as we pop over to radar, you can see there are another line of thunderstorms coming through the Augusta area now at about a quarter past 9 o'clock. A few other thunderstorms once again coming back across the Orangeburg area. And things have calmed down a bit here where I am in Charlotte, North Carolina. But the only warning we have out right now is for the Catawba River in Gaston County, just to the west of Charlotte where the persistent heavy rains today are causing some flooding along the Catawba River. Jared Smith will have a look at our severe weather outlook. And Frank Strait, I'm sure we'll get his opinion on it as well, too, after tonight's interview, because we had a severe uh, risk today, and we're in a storm prediction center outlook for the next two days, if I'm not mistaken. So stay tuned. We'll get to that in just a moment. But let me bring back in our quad box. We got Jared in Charleston and double teaming us from Columbia, Melissa and Frank. I'm the lone North Carolina person, but that's okay. That's okay. Um, Melissa, it is good to see you. Welcome back to the Carolina Weather Group. It has uh, been a moment since we talked to you on the air, and we're happy to have you back for, now I'm going to get this wrong, and please correct me, but it is South Carolina Citizen Weather Observation Week. You're close. You're close. Yes. No, it is actually South Carolina Citizen Weather Observer Week. So what we have done is uh, gone through the governor's office and got a proclamation. So March 13th through the 19th, we are highlighting and basically just kind of giving a, a you know, hurrah to all of our wonderful weather observers that help us monitor the, the weather and climate across South Carolina. So those are going to be those, um, you know, Skywarn spotters, our National Weather Service Cooperative of spot, Spotters and, or, and Observers, and our Kokoros volunteers. So really happy that we were able to get this proclamation from the governor, and more than likely we're going to try and continue to do it in the future. So I'm going to go ahead and put on the screen right now for anybody who is watching us on Facebook or YouTube, Twitter, wherever you may be. 
Coco Ross, spelled out on the screen because it's a little bit of a mouthful if you're unfamiliar with it, Melissa. But this is another way this month we are trying to encourage people, everyday people at home, to get involved with weather. Refresh our memories. What is Coco Ross? Coco Ross stands for the Community Collaborative Rain, Hail, and Snow Network, which is the reason why we took that big, long name and shortened it down into a fun one that everybody can remember. Um, it's a grassroots program that started out of the 1997 Fort Collins flood. Uh, the Colorado Climate Center at Colorado State University did a bucket survey to try and figure out how much rain had actually fallen in the area after a wall of water came through Fort Collins and destroyed, um, I think it was like, uh, I think it did like $125 million worth of damage just to the campus alone. So they went around, they were looking for anyone who had a rain gauge, and they just started finding people who were really interested in weather and had rain gauges, but they were rain gauges of all different shapes and sizes. They weren't consistent. So that meant we needed to get everybody to use the same rain gauge. And so that project started in earnest um, through National Science Foundation funding in 1998. And in the late, late 2000s, that's when everybody else kind of jumped on board and was like, this isn't a really interesting program to harness this idea that, you know, someone who's interested in the weather can provide information that's useful and be used by the National Weather Service, the climatology offices, hydrologists, utilities, um, you know, mosquito control. I mean, there's just so many different uses of the data. And since then, it has spread not only across all 50 states, but we also have Cocoross observers in the Bahamas, Jamaica. We have them in Canada. Um, and so it has really become just this amazing program, and it's all done through citizen science. Up on the screen right now, we have the Coco Ross reports from those volunteers over the past 24 hours. For our podcast listeners, we're looking at a map of the continental U.S. filled in with tiny little circles. And we can see kind of hot spots, if you will, where reports came in in the past 24 hours. Not surprisingly, it's where it's been raining. And, you know, we have a tenth, two tenths, three tenths of an inch of rain recorded in portions of South Carolina. There's even one up almost in my neck of the woods in Fort Mill, South Carolina, showing almost an inch of rain there. Um, so, Melissa, you mentioned some of the uh, use cases for these reports. What are some of the ways that they impact your day to day uh, in the state climate office? So, you know, Carcaras started here in South Carolina in 2008. And since 2008, there have been about 73 observers that have been with that program for 14 years now. So we have 14 years oh. worth of rainfall data from these observers. And they really do fill in the gaps. They're not necessarily in the same place um, where we get our regular observations. So, for example, during the 2015 floods, the, the floods that took place in October, um, you know, there are only four official National Weather Service stations that are in the Charleston County area. But when we added in all of the additional observations that we were able to get from Cocross observers in that area, it made a completely different picture of the rainfall in that area. Yeah. You know, we, we went from, you know, the highest totals being between 16 and 18 inches just with the National Weather Service information to actually having totals that were almost close, you know, close to like 28 inches of rain during that time period in the Mount Pleasant area. Um, and, you know, if it wasn't, wasn't for that data, we really would have missed that, that information. We wouldn't have been able to analyze it. So it's really good when it comes to these extreme weather, you know, these extreme rain fall events um, when we have these flooding events 
it, it was instrumental in 2016 when Matthew came ashore and even in 2018 when we had impacts from Florence. But one of the other important things about Kukras observers is zero is probably one of the more important numbers that we get from them. And that is in, instrumental in tracking drought across the, the state. Um, in the fall of 2019, we had um, really extremely warm conditions for the, the beginning of October. We had 100 degree days here in, you know, in the Midlands. Um, and, you know, it's kind of unheard of. And we had gone through a couple of months of really low precipitation totals. And so being able to know exactly where those zeros were, where we weren't getting rain, where we had gotten rain from Dorian in actually September of 2019, we we're able to get a better picture of where the impacts of drought were having the most, um, you know, the, the, the most uh, uh, effects on agriculture, water resources across the state. So, you know, as much as we love getting the rainfall total numbers, that zero number is just as important. Yeah, Melissa, absolutely. And and I know down here in Charleston, one of the big issues that we run into constantly is flooding. Uh, I, I know it's shocking. Why are we uh, Charleston flooding? Never. Um, how do those uh, how do those observations factor in um, for flood forecasts and, and, and how is that you know helpful for that? So the, the observers, in addition to being able to put in like a 24-hour rainfall total, our observers are also able to enter in a significant weather report. So if they pick up three inches of rain in an hour, they can put that observation in with their account because you get a Cocoros account when you sign up. And that information goes directly into the National Weather Service um, AWIPS. They're, they're forecasting like screens that they can see. They can take a look at it, they can look at radars, and then that will help them issue any particular warnings or, you know, advisories that might be for some of our low-lying areas, um, you know, especially in the Charleston area. I mean, we've got a couple of places, Frank and I know this here in Columbia, that if you sneeze wrong, it can flood, uh, you know, let alone have just a, an intense rainfall, you know, over a short period of time that can cause um, some, some um, you know, urban flooding. So there, you know, there's the 24-hour Hour total they can do and then there's also these little intermittent ones they can do when they have some of these more significant events yeah i remember during that during that event um i don't think i was an observer yet i don't remember a lot in the before times uh so you know <laughs> it's been a, it's been a stressful couple of years but um but i remember you know i live not too far from the airport and um you know a buddy of mine just you know a hop skip and a jump from my house had you know five more inches in that event than they recorded at the airport uh, i think that speaks a lot to the importance of the density of those observations too it does you know some people may take a look at that map that you know james had up earlier with all the dots and see kind of the clustering in, in some of the urban areas and go there are plenty of observations they don't need me here they don't need me in columbia they don't need me in greenville um but that's not necessarily the case i mean if you zoom in a little bit more on those you can see that even those clustered dots are a little bit spread apart and there's all these open areas that we don't get observations from you know one person can make a huge difference when it comes to rainfall. It is so varied across even short distances. Um, you know, even we can see right there, just the little three that are kind of clustered together, you know, by, by Lexington, and there's a difference in those rainfall totals. Um, 
there's probably one of the the one case study that we looked at was from Texas in, in May of 2008. And there was an observer who reported seven inches of rain and no one around him came even close. I think the highest total next to him was like a half an inch. And it was one of those ones where it kind of was like, wait a minute, did he maybe enter something in wrong? And they reached out to him. They looked at radar. They And it sure enough, there was a, th a thunderstorm that just kind of bubbled up and formed right over where he was. And it didn't move. It was a stationary thunderstorm. It dropped seven inches of rain. And had that observer not been there to catch that, they wouldn't have had to ground truth, truth value to go with those radar observations. Right. And Melissa, one of the things that uh, I discovered at a, at a conference not long ago, and I can't remember if this was the 2019 NWA meeting I was at or whether it was the, uh, the conference I was in in Ankeny, Iowa, uh, where this came up, but the, the college of Charleston did a study on just how much rainfall can vary over just how short of a distance. And uh, I can't remember the details of this study, but I remember that they had a bunch of rain gauges set up on a roof in Charleston and found that it could vary considerably, even over 100 feet. Yeah. And so, so that's having those observations, having that density really comes in handy. Right. There's no such thing as observers too close together when it comes to rainfall. So if you if you want to be a Kokoros observer, even if you got a buddy that, that lives two doors down from you, that's a Kokoros observer, by all means, jump in and, and do this because uh, your, your measurement, it's not always going to vary a lot, but sometimes it will vary considerably uh, even over, even over a hundred yards or so. And if I pull the map back up, I'm also seeing there are reports of zero inches of rain. I imagine that's, that's important as well. Yes, those zeros are really important, especially in the eastern portion of South Carolina and North Carolina right now, where we're dealing with abnormally dry and severe drought conditions across portions of the state. So knowing that those areas have not gotten any rain is important as we get ready to go into another week of the U.S. Drought Monitor. And then the South Carolina Drought Response Committee is going to be meeting at the end of the month and looking at conditions and do we need to make any designations here in the state based on the lack of rain that we've had. So knowing where those zeros are is like super important. The, you know, the other neat thing about that, and if you bring up that map one more time for me, James, you know, if you zoom in, you can see all these great dots, but there are a lot of areas in the state where we don't have a single observation. There are some counties, look, James zoomed right in on one, you know, Fairfield County there. Sorry, there's Fairfield. Yeah, sorry to call you out Fairfield County, but there's not a single observer right now making reports in Fairfield County. There is a National Weather Service cooperative station in Winsboro, but there's more area in, in Fairfield County that we could use some um, some observers. And and that's not just here in South Carolina. I'll give some love to North Carolina too. Um, there are some, uh, you know, there are some hot pockets in and around the triangle, uh, Charlotte, you know, but you can get into Eastern portions of North Carolina and, and find areas where we're still looking for observers. I think there's a real opportunity for me because I'm near Matthews and there are no reports in the Matthews area. There you go, James. You're going to have to sign up and be a Kokoros observer. Sign well, up in leads. April, though. Yeah, sign up right. in April. <laughs> Not during our campaign right now. <laughs> well, that's that's right. So there's a campaign right now nationwide to see which state can recruit the most number of new observers this month. Is, that's is that correct. How works? Yeah. Right, how, how are you doing, South Carolina? Well, South Carolina is in third place right now with 38, okay. which isn't that bad. But unfortunately, Minnesota, I don't know what they're doing up there. If they're just like making people sign them up at the Welcome Center as they come in because they have <laughs> 254 new signups. 
um, in just the first half of the month. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to catch up with them, but Wisconsin is not that far off with 66. So I'm kind of hoping we can take that second place trophy this, uh, this month. I just swung the map over there to see exactly if they were, uh, you know, what their, what their density looked like. And you know, it's not, it's not too bad. It's not too no. bad. I wasn't sure if they were just inactive signups, like they were just stuffing the ballots, but no, no I mean, know, it looks like they got so. them. They got, got some. Yeah. Most All people, right, so most people who Car- sign up get started. So South Carolina, you're halfway through the month now and you're in third place. So we either need to finish strong and mm-hmm. hold on to that, that third place win or, or, or try to eke them out with a, with a nice comeback from behind North Carolina. We gotta, we gotta get going. We gotta get going. I'm outnumbered tonight. Yeah, sorry, James. <laughs> I, I, I yeah, feel like we have more North Carolina people here, but tonight the more South Carolina yeah. people here. That's a rare event, actually. I feel like we need to do like an airdrop of Stratus rain gauges in Fairfield County. I'm gonna just, have to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just get a, just you know, just like a, just put a bunch on parachutes and just airdrop them in, kind of like a, you know, a, a Marshall Plan, but for Kokoros. Yeah, I mean, I may have to do something like that. You, you know, it's kind of funny you mentioned that because I do have some rain gauges in the office. And I've been trying to target schools with them. So if there are any teachers that are watching or educators that are looking for a really good, fun project to put in the mm-hmm. classroom, that, you know, Cocoros is a great way to do it. Um, you, not only are you able to hit the, the, the weather, you know, and climate standards, but you can also do the math standards with this project, too. And I've installed, uh, well, before COVID, I had installed three additional rain gauges here in the Midlands, and they were at elementary schools where the students were actually taking part in doing the observations. We're looking at an animation on the screen right now for our visual viewers uh, that shows a little bit of how this process works. But maybe, Melissa, you can give us a little commentary, a little director's cut to this animation we're looking at to provide us sure. with the steps. So the steps are you did the there's a there's a outer tube and an inner tube in the rain gauge that we're talking about. And the one that you know Jared mentioned earlier is called the Stratus rain gauge. It's a four inch diameter rain gauge. It's the same rain gauge that we use um, across the network so we can have that standard measurement, um, you, everybody using the same equipment. So when the rain falls in to that inner tube, that mentioned that measures one inch of water. So one inch of water will fall in the inner tube, and then you can spill out that one inch, and then what's ever left over in that outer tube you can use your funnel and pour directly back in there so even if you end up with more than one inch of rain um, it catches and collects in that outer tube you just have to take your time to, to measure it out you know that that rain gauge is a high capacity rain gauge it can hold 11 inches of water so and i have seen it hold 11 inches of water um my frame gauge when I lived in Florida uh, during Faye in 2008, I emptied it three or four times um, wow. for a grand total of, I think I was at just under 21 inches during that storm. Well, Melissa, you gave us some indication earlier about how those reports help climate and drought and long-term monitoring. Uh, Frank, you wear two hats here tonight and you are the severe weather liaison to the climate office. I'm wondering, Frank, from your perspective, when you when you look at radar scope and it looks like this tonight and you have storms out there, how can you use citizen reports from Coco Ross as a part of your job? Well, uh, they, they come in handy, especially when I'm doing reports on past weather events. Uh, it certainly is nice to get those reports real time when there's weather going on but they come in really handy as well when we have uh, a major weather event that I have to write a report on. Like, for example, 
uh, when I did a report on uh, Tropical Storm Fred when it made uh, landfall in South Carolina. And I uh, posted, I had to use a bunch of uh, rainfall reports. And turns out uh, almost all of the reports I used were Kokoros from Kokoros oh, yeah. observers from that report there. Look at that. Uh, that's uh, what it looks like there. So, yeah, I, I use Kokoros uh, observations all the time for, for uh, rain and, and snow when we have a snowstorm uh, to see where the heaviest snow was and uh, sometimes trying to get an idea of what the snow to liquid ratio was for the snow. So uh, all those observations helped me out a lot. By the way, the reports like these, you can get them, get them from the South Carolina State Climate Office homepage and you just hit that research button there and you can get that. And the newest reports are linked on our homepage too. Oh, Perfect plug, because I was uh, just uh, thinking to myself, there are uh, that web address that I should read out for podcast listeners, the dnr.sc.gov slash climate, if I'm not mistaken, right? That's and right. then uh, if audio listeners are trying to get a handle on Coco Ross, C-O-C-O-R-A-H-S, we will link it in the description of the show so you can go ahead and get started. Um, Melissa, let me ask you this, because we had the, the storm spotter training class uh, here at the Carolina Weather Group. We talk a lot about MPing. We're talking about Coco Ross. How do all of these things come together for someone who wants to be the trifecta citizen scientist? They want to do the trifecta. It's the apps. <laughs> MPing is an app, you know, all of the stuff that we submit as spotters through Twitter with location, you know, information, tagging the right office. Kokoros also has an app that makes it a lot easier for us to be able to put in our weather observations on a regular basis. So it can become part of a daily routine. Most people get up in the morning, go look for the newspaper, make a cup of coffee, go check that ring gauge, enter in that total and it's off and we're able to use it. So, you know, it's it's just a fun way to do it. The other fun thing about Kokoros is in addition to having that value, that, that you know, quantitative number, um, you can put comments in. And sometimes the comments are enlightening as a Kokoros observer. And I know Jared's over there shaking his head because he's seen some of these comments that we've had. You know, there was um, a couple of months ago, we had some severe weather that moved through the Aiken County area. And one of our observers had mentioned something about seeing damage near his house that looked like possible tornado damage. And it piqued the interest of the, uh, you know, the, the National Weather Service in Columbia. They actually went out and sure enough confirmed an EF0 um, tornado from that severe weather event and actually verified one of their warnings. So those little, little you know, tidbits of information that are included with those, those values can just be so enlightening and provide additional information. Make some links in our chat tonight for people who want to go check out some of these websites. Um, do they need the official Coco Ross rain gauge, Melissa, or can they use any rain gauge? No, they got to have that official one. And I know some yeah. that's a bummer for some of us because we have all of our awesome automated rain gauges and our sensor rain gauges. But by having everyone use the same rain gauge, we know that everybody is using the, the the equipment across the entire United States. We're not having to take into account that someone might be using a Davis system or a Tempest or um, you know a different type of tipping bucket or a wedge gauge from Home Depot. So we really do stress using that gauge. And the reason we stress using that gauge is we've done side-by-side -side comparisons with that gauge and the official gauge that the National Weather Service uses for their cooperative weather observers, which is an eight inch diameter gauge. 
and the catch over a year is maybe off by a tenth of an inch. It's really kind of comparative, so we like to use that. Um, the gauges run, depending on the vendors, and there are a couple of them, $35 to $40. Um, okay. And I know that that might be one, you know, a little bit of a sticker shock, but um, you know, I had my rain gauge out in the Florida sun for 10 years and I never had a problem with it. They're easier to clean than a wedge gauge. Once you get a little bit of, you know, the, the mildew and the, the stuff at the bottom, it no longer becomes accurate. Um, and so you're able to clean it out, you know, keep it. And I know a couple of our observers recently that started when the, the program started here in 2008 um, have just recently after 14 years started to replace their rain gauge. Well, you answered the question from Ryan, who's watching on Facebook tonight, asking how much that rain gauge is. Again, it sounds like $35, $40 or so. Uh, his follow-up question, can I do an observation like at the airport? I mean, I think Ryan would be making an observation as helpful as one at the airport, but he's going to be doing it manually with his gauge as opposed to that automated equipment at the exactly. airport. Exactly. Yeah, so that uh, that is um, some fantastic information, and I, I get it. Yeah, we, we want to make sure everyone's playing with the, the same equipment across the country as we can compare these uh, side by side. Um, Jared, you live in an area where we have some microclimates. Have you and your CHSWX uh, expertise come across helpful scenarios neighborhood by neighborhood? Oh, my goodness, all the time. I mean, it it, it is... It is quite fascinating because, again, I, I being in a dense area, I think I get the most charge out of seeing, you know, that really short distance between where was the pop up thunderstorm that day? And it's like looking at the days, the next day's reports is like, yep, it was there and nowhere else. Um, you know, it was uh, it, so that is always that is always fascinating. And it gives us a target area, you know, for the next day. You know, if we've got a, if, if we're in an active pattern and we have um it, it, and, and we might be looking at the potential for, you know, a multi-day heavy rain event. And, you know, we want to look at the areas that got the most rain the day before for maybe, you know, lower flash flood guidance, potential increased risk for, uh, you know, for flash flooding developing. That's that's one thing that's uh, super helpful. Knowing where the zeros are is yeah. extremely helpful. I mean, I, there is nothing more satisfying than ticking off the zeros on the monthly zeros thing. I'm just saying it's just bang, bang, bang. You know, if you've got your zeros, it's, it's a really nice, uh, it's a nice little interface. And, and you know, and again, like it is, um, you know, it, it, it is invaluable for that post event analysis too. I, I just, it, yeah, it, we saw it, that from Frank's uh, report. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you what, uh, there is so much it, rainfall is not just what falls at the airport. Uh, you know, that's yeah. what that that is the most important thing is like, oh, the airport is is down. But, you know, I've got, you know, X amount in mind. And the other cool thing is that you do this long enough, you build up a, a record over time at your place and you can mm -hmm. see what your rain is like compared to your friend down the street. You can see it's like, oh, wow, this is a really wet year compared to, you know, you know, compared to years past. Um, you know, 
you bring up a really good point, Jared, because some of the observers that have been with the program 10 plus years go back and they look at the previous, you know, Marches or Februaries and go, this February was like the second driest February since I started observing. And after, I believe it's five years, it could be up to 10 years, Cocross data is now being stored in the National Archives. So NOAA wow. is now actually archiving Cocross data. We've gotten long enough records at some of the stations that we've started keeping that data. So, you know, that is something else that is just really just, you know, it's, it just shows the impact of someone being excited about whether they're wanting with one of these programs and just the, the going to be stored and can be used for past analysis and even looking at trends that have happened recently. So. I know I've used it a couple times in the ACIS database um, that uh, you can you can pull Kokoraz compared to airport compared to other automated stations. It's yeah, it not, not that you need anybody else's not, not, not that you need me to back up the assistant state climatologist and Kokoraz <laughs> coordinator for South Carolina, but the data is so useful for so many of us in the weather community. Well, yeah. I've identified a, a hole in my neighborhood and uh, I'm going to go buy one of these uh, here um, probably immediately because I'm pretty sure if I go back into our archive, I make this promise to Melissa every year and I clearly <laughs> haven't done it yet. So we have a couple different retailers all about the same price point. As we wrap things up, I saw Jared holding up his finger. He's yep. got one more thought bubble there. I've got a pro tip for when you get your gauge. Okay, I'm listening. Get the ten dollar, ten fifteen, ten or fifteen dollar like cleaning instrument mm -hmm. that goes with it. Solid. Okay. Great investment. It is clean pollen uh, and leaves and things. Yes, out of it? yes, especially now. Like I think uh, <laughs> the other day I had rainfall. I I, I recorded you know four hundredths of an inch and a trace of pollen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I, was, I was just about to say we're we're getting to that time of year where I'm going to start forecasting pollen accumulations. Pollen. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Pollen. Yeah. exactly. Yeah, no, the yellow, the the South Carolina yellow snow is in full effect, and so you got to keep you got to keep it clean to keep it accurate. I mean, that's you know, you get yeah. enough grime in there, and that's going to throw your numbers off. So yeah. it, it, it's and there's nothing better than a clean Stratus rain gauge. I don't know. I love this hardware. It is it is just you know. I mean, it's it simplistic. is really good hardware. It's simplistic. And, you know, the, the fun thing about it is, is you never know who is with you observing and being a Cocoross observer. So, I mean, there are, I can tell you that there is a Cocoross rain gauge that is on the field of a major MBM, a major league baseball team has a Cocoross rain gauge on their field. I can tell you that. I know there are a couple of pro football players that have rain gauges at their houses. And believe it or not, did there are Did you install some... them? Did you go no, to the No, I wish players? I would have oh, installed okay. them. Yeah. But I also know that there are some local TV meteorologists that are also fans of Cocross and use the data on a regular mm -hmm. basis. That sounds, that sounds right. I mean, that all sounds right, but yep. yeah. I, I know Rob Fowler in Charleston is a very loud proponent of Cocoross. Um, ever since he got his gauge, uh, we won't say when he got his gauge, um, better late than never, uh, love you, Rob. Um, and, <laughs> and, uh, but he is a very vocal proponent of it and, and, and that's awesome to see. Yeah. Uh, 
I love seeing his Instagram pictures when he goes out and he's got rain mm -hmm. in his rain gauge and he takes a picture and he's like reporting from Charleston County and he's got <laughs> his he's got his total in there and it's it's yep. fun. It's a good way to get people involved, you know. Not only am I using the data, but I'm also part of the program. Well, Melissa, please don't be a stranger. Come on back anytime. No worries, of, I can do that. Best of luck taking down Minnesota. <laughs> I'm going to need it. <laughs> uh, people can sign up right now at cocoras.org. Do they have to do anything in particular to get counted towards your March yeah. competition, or they just got to put their location they in? Just have to sign up. That's the um, just fill out the application that's on there. They get their own uh, station identifier and station name that makes it very unique. So we're able to track everybody. Very cool. Very cool. Well, we are going to uh, shift gears, as the cliche broadcast saying is, and check back uh, radar right now at this uh, coming up at 9.50 here on this Wednesday. And uh, we are once again still watching kind of late night showers and thunderstorms. And I know Jared is prepared to talk to us about Storm Prediction Center outlooks for the next couple of days. And I'm glad Frank is here as well, too, to kind of weigh in. But Jared, why don't you just bring folks up to speed on this Wednesday? Uh, we had another flirt with severe weather today. Mm -hmm. We did. And um, there were a couple warnings uh, in South Carolina. I have not seen any storm reports, but there have been as we opened the show with, and especially near Augusta and Martinez, uh, we had... Uh, uh, you know, some decent hail. Um, hail has been the story today, and it's been really interesting to see some of these left-moving thunderstorms, uh, which we typically splitting storms are something that we associate with the Plain States. So we've had a little bit of that action today, as a huge lumbering upper low uh, just continues to rumble through the area, and that's what's gotten us uh, the uh, the increased hail threat today. Um, and, and I'll tell you, as we get into you know, as I'm going to pull up the uh, pull up the outlook here let me take my face off of this real quick and i'll just show you kind of what we've got going on this is the outlook set a glance going all the way to day eight the storm prediction center does day one to day eight and so here is you know so here is going into day eight um slight risk tonight obviously continues in the uh, south carolina low country uh those thunderstorms that james had up on the screen certainly could you know be interesting uh, over the next few hours. Hopefully that those uh, will, they will eventually weaken, but um, certainly something to watch is that upper low lumbers through Thursday, relatively quiet um, across the area. It's going to be a nice day. Uh, Thursday's looking pretty good. Friday, we get back into the risk for severe weather, primarily towards the coast late, uh, maybe a little bit earlier as you get uh, further west there saturday morning it looks like they've outlooked they've outlooked a slight risk of 15 percent area along the coast the north and south carolina coast um that would be kind of a, a very that would be a kind of a morning early afternoon threat for uh, uh damaging winds and maybe even a tornado sunday monday tuesday severe weather in parts of uh, no severe weather on sunday a couple areas outlined on monday and tuesday well to our west um and on day eight Typically, the predictability just goes a little bit low, although there was a day a outlook uh, for South Carolina and, and for the Carolinas a few days ago, which was uh, somewhat rare. We don't see that very often. So. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's going to be, you know, it's it, it's going to be a little busy, but I, I think that. It's March. This is yeah. something that happens season. Yeah, it's transitional. Yeah. 
If if you need to need uh, any reminder beyond the Claritin that's on my desk, not a paid sponsor. Um, just looking at that Storm Prediction Center outlook is enough to remind us that it is March and it is spring. Even though last weekend we were talking about freezing temperatures, that is March for you in a nutshell. Uh, Frank, at a, at a glance, what type of severe weather are we talking about? Are we talking about tornadoes, hail, wind, flood? Uh, well, for tonight, uh, what's left of the event that we're dealing with now is uh, is likely to just be a a hail situation. I mean, some locally gusty winds uh, can't be ruled out. Uh, I guess the uh, tornado risk is uh, not quite zero, but uh, it's very low. I think going forward tonight, uh, you heard uh, uh, James ta- or rather uh, Jared talk about the uh, big lumbering upper level low, and uh, that's what it looks like on the satellite picture right now. Is the water vapor imagery uh, showing that upper low that's uh, drifting. Uh, eastward, it's uh, sitting over or spinning centered over uh, central Georgia right now and uh, headed our way. And it's giving us another round of thunderstorms here this evening. And you think, well, now we're in the evening. Why is it? Why are we getting this another round of thunderstorms? Well, it, the temperatures near the surface aren't dropping all that much this evening. It's only come down a degree or two from the highs today, uh, but it's getting progressively colder aloft. And so that's making things more unstable. And so we're getting uh, the thunderstorms form in an increasingly unstable environment around South Carolina, and that's why uh, that's why they're going. So here's the uh, radar view uh, that uh, uh, James has and, and Jared has for us, and uh, yeah, thunderstorms are are popping uh, all, all over the place. Uh, let me uh, switch over to mine. There's the Columbia radar, and uh, you can see there's a few thunderstorms around the Midlands of South Carolina and still in the central Savannah River area. Uh, the Orangeburg area is seeing a pretty good one. There's a special weather statement out for that right now. They had a pretty good thunderstorm earlier. You heard Melissa and I talking about that one. Uh, she ended up driving through it on her way back from Charleston earlier today. Well, uh, another one's moving through with uh, some very heavy rains. That's one. The other aspect of this storm that's kind of been, or the storms today that's been uh, kind of overlooked is that the rainfall rates have been really impressive. We have a, a very uh, rich, uh, uh, low-level moisture right now. And so these thunderstorms are feeding off of that. In addition to the hail and locally gusty winds, there's also uh, been uh, some pretty good downpours, uh, too. Yeah. And uh, that's something else to think about. Uh, with standing water on the roads, uh, you have to be really careful driving through, driving through this stuff, too, uh, with these uh, uh, downpours uh, reducing visibility. Also, a couple of good thunderstorms uh, down in the low country, too, uh, uh, down in uh, 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 Jasper, Beaufort, and uh, Colleton counties. Another uh, special weather statement down there uh, with some gusty winds. Uh, they mentioned gusts maybe to 55 miles an hour. The Charleston Weather Service office did with that storm, and it looked uh, too, in addition to the hail risk, too. So uh, we'll continue to keep an eye on these storms as they uh, rotate around that upper low as uh, it heads our way tonight. Yeah, here's a look at some of the uh, local storm reports that so many of you have sent in and the Weather Service has verified. And to paint this picture for our audience, uh, our audio listeners tonight, uh, the Weather Service verifying hail reports, a uh, handful of them out there, um, including this one, uh, where we had a business report dime size hail. Uh, near Allendale here, another business reporting hail, and then a whole handful of them in that Augusta area on both sides of the river, including, there it is, there's Tim Pounds. I think this is maybe him there, somewhere near Martinez. You know, we were talking about how things vary neighborhood to neighborhood, and Tim saw dime-sized hail. This is somebody else in Martinez uh, reporting an inch and a quarter. So I think that's slightly bigger, if I'm not mistaken, than a dime. And so... um, 
there all again goes to show you just to drive home our point from earlier tonight how uh, one neighborhood to the next they need every report they can get so thank you to everyone who has been sending in storm reports however it is that you have been sending in storm reports uh, they have been much appreciated and in closing frank mentioned the uh the rainfall threat as well too that green polygon there in gaston county expected to expire in the next few moments here as the uh, catawba river looks to be returning back within its banks following a flash flood warning there in the charlotte metro area so we'll keep an eye on this uh the next couple of days guys and uh, remind folks that they can always get uh this fancy red ticker that is scrolling at the bottom of my particular uh box here anytime by watching the carolina weather net uh that is a streaming service we built for you the carolina weather fan you can watch it anytime for free any place you watch youtube from your smartphone to your computer to your smart tv whatever it may be uh for real-time alerts conditions sky cams forecast and more i had it on today and i was watching as we were bouncing around from all the sky cams and all the radars watching all those storms pop off today so a happy spring everybody and happy daylight savings time happy (laughs) oh thank thank you frank and jared are you are you pro standard time Uh, i'm pro utc for all so just just eliminate time zones make everybody run on utc you know and, sunrise uh, at 11 30 yeah over noon yep. at 17 30 sunset exactly. at 23 30 yep exactly <laughs> exactly utc for all you know let's just let's just watch the world burn um and tomorrow is I, tomorrow is also national disappearing broadcast meteorologist day is that where they wear green leotards they're all gonna wear green, green tomorrow aren't they because <laughs> it's st patrick's day <laughs> great I look forward to it. <laughs> I do not. I'm a well, fan that... of not screwing with the clocks anymore. Just pick one yeah. or the other and stick with it. That's what I'm in favor of. I think we could all agree on that. So I'm going to let that be the last word. <laughs> Time is a human construct. Yes, I get the last. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Frank, thank you for wearing your Sherlock Holmes two brimmed hat tonight. And uh, give our thanks again to Melissa when you see her at work tomorrow. Uh, Jared, thank you for your perspective and your input as well. And uh, here's our true closing thought, folks. There's still time to sign up for, yes, you guessed it, the Advanced Skywarn Storm Spotter class from the Carolina Weather Group and the National Weather Service, Tuesday, March 29th at 7 p.m. It's virtual. It's free. Do you need to take the basic class before taking the advanced class? It's recommended. So if you missed our basic class, you can check your weather.gov local forecast office to see if they're offering a basic class near you. Uh, If you can't find one, feel free to come and join us. Uh, You're still welcome. We'd still love to have you there. Uh, But do see if uh, you can find that basic class. There are a number of them happening this month as uh, we've just wrapped up severe weather preparedness week and uh, we are really getting all leveled up on how we can be active weather participants so whether it's kokoros whether it's mping whether it's skywarn spotter we hope that you across the carolinas or whatever it is you may be watching or listening to us become an active part of our broader weather community because that's really what this is this is one big community effort and none of us could do it national weather service couldn't do it broadcast meteorologists couldn't do it without the eyes and the ears of the community so thank you very much to everyone who is uh, already actively participating all right that's enough for me i'm james that's frank that's jared uh check us out on youtube 
Check us out wherever you get your audio podcasts. Stay weather aware. And we'll see you back here again real soon.